0: We have been gone, um, Kim and I have been gone for three weeks. Um, And it's been a difficult three weeks. um, And we want to thank you um, for your prayers. Um, I learned so much from my wife. These past three weeks. um, This is the first time Kim and I I've had to um, lose a parent. Um, and of course, it's not a loss to see a parent um, go to be with the Lord it has been an incredible blessing. But it's been your prayers that have um, just sustained us through that time. And just to watch my wife in love and grace, walk her mom up to that finish line. I couldn't believe it. It's amazing. So, so thank you. Thank you to my wife for what I learned from her. Um, and thank you to Community Bible Church, because you may not know this, but every one of you were at that funeral. <laughs> Kim and Tom drove 13 hours for a one-hour funeral, to be there to represent this body. Now, Kim and I have been married for almost 41 years. I think I have driven that drive 800 miles exactly from Kennesaw to Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, almost 50, maybe 50 times, maybe not quite 50 times. It's 13 hours. Tom drove that in 13 hours, was there for not even a day, turned around and drove back. I've never done that. I have never done that, and I just want to say thank you, and they represented this body there at the funeral, and then, and then y'all brought us dinner, And Lindsay, Lindsay Crawford brought us a meal, it was Thursday, of course we have this huge family around us when we get back home, so why would you need to bring us a meal, and yet she brought us a meal, and it was absolutely delicious, Kim was wondering, wow, that's amazing, when Kim found out the recipe, she says, that's too hard, I don't think I could do that, um, so, um, it was wonderful. So what a privilege it is to be a part of this body of Christ. And again, I just, I, I just want to thank you. Um, what a blessing. Turn in your Bibles to First Peter um, chapter 5. Um, As always, when I start a message, I remind myself that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I need that reminder. And that work is the work of God in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. So as we open up God's Word, we're absolutely dependent upon this Holy Spirit to give us an understanding of His Word and to enlighten our minds um, to the truth of God's Word. So if you'll bow with me, let's pray that God will do that. Father, what a privilege it is to come here this morning um, and to be part of this family, and to just serve in, 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 such a, in such a simple way as we look at your truth together. Your word tells us that we have received not a spirit of this world, a spirit who is from you, from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by you. And so our prayer is that your Holy Spirit will work in my heart and my mind in all humility, In proclaiming your word, may it be your word and yours alone. And that you would work in our lives so that we may leave this place changed. Different people um, because of your word. Conformed to your image, image bearers for your glory and for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, I think about in the eighth week of maybe a 12-week series on the church, um, what we call ecclesiology. Um, so, slight review. I, I need I've need. i been gone for three weeks, and I appreciate um, the live stream because I was able to watch um, while we were gone. But we started out looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, and, and Brian Otten kind of introduced us really to this whole series as we came to understand how the church fits into the meta-narrative, the big story of what God is doing. I, I've, I've, you've, some of you have heard me say this before. There's a song out there. Called God is in my story. Now, I get the sentiment of that, but that is theologically incorrect, and it is a man centered gospel in in what it says. We are, we, not I, we, this body, are in God's story. That's the meta narrative. That's the big story. And if you don't understand that story, then all the little pieces won't make sense. If you handed me a thousand-piece puzzle, the first thing I would say is, give me the picture. Let me see the picture. And so we did that. God's purpose in creation has not changed. He told Adam and Eve to fill the earth with image bearers, with worshipers of God for His glory. But sin entered the world And sin disrupted all that God had intended, but God will finish what He has started. What Adam has failed to do and what the nation of Israel failed to do because of sin, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, has accomplished through the redemption of man as He, Christ, calls out a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. For the purpose... What does Peter say in 1 Peter 2? He says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. So the main point of that first message was that the church matters, we, the church matters, because the glory of God matters. That's the big picture. We also found in the second week that just as our physical birth brings us into a family identity, so our spiritual birth brings us into a corporate identity, and that's the significance of the local body, the church that we're a part of. The main lesson was it's impossible to be an obedient, God-honoring Christian and not be a functioning part of the local church. Can't do it. Week three, Pat came and gave us a definition of the church. So here's how he defined it the definition of church. The local church is an assembly of baptized believers meeting together regularly, that's in fellowship, in a particular locality under the oversight of recognized elders. And that's going to be our subject today and the week after the Easter Sunday is elders. That's our topic. To participate, finishing this definition, to participate in biblical teaching, fellowship, prayer, and the celebration of the Lord's Supper for the purpose of bringing glory to God. Remember, That's why he made us, and the point—the main point—was when we abandoned the church, we abandoned giving glory to God by not following His purpose and plan for this age. Why does my participation matter? The next week after that, and the answer was because I'm not an integral because I am an integral part of the body. My contribution matters. My contribution is necessary. each one of us. Timothy, Paul says this, but in case I am delayed, I write you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. We are that household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. Then week five, how is the church ordered? James started kind of that sub-series on how the church is ordered, and, and part of what we're going to talk about today finishes that. But being a part of the body of Christ is a great privilege that comes with great responsibilities. This includes encouraging one another and rebuking one another in God's word. As we pursue purity, the purity of the church of Jesus Christ. And then the next two weeks, the two weeks that just that precede this week, um, Brian to, um, has presented to us um, um, sermons on the ordinances, um, on baptism. Water in water baptism, we identify with the death and resurrection of Christ to walk in the newness of life. That's what water baptism is, and we and we and we and we learned um, much about that as we it came together. And I think because of that message, so many people. Um, we're like, hey, man, you know, I want, I, want, I want to be a part of that. And so we've got three baptisms coming up um, next Sunday. And what a glorious thing that will be. And then last, and then last week, the Lord's Supper. We talked about the Lord's Supper. And, and the main point was this. As we partake in the Lord's Supper, we must partake with united hearts, with exalting hearts, and with repentant hearts, where there is sins and needs to be confessed. And why? Because unity... And purity in the church are a big deal to God. Division and unrepentant sin bring shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to continue to answer the question, how is the church ordered? And in particular, how does the office of elder fit into the household of God? Now I can remember when I was young, when I was I don't know junior high, high school. If I'd heard that the topic of the message was going to be elders, I'd have been I'd have checked out. I would have been going, man, that's not me. I don't need to listen. I'm going to find something to do with my time. Let me just give some of our some of some of us a reason to to hear God's word in this. For our young ladies, we're going to talk about. God miraculously and by His grace producing in the body men who can shepherd His church. And the qualities we're going to talk about are the qualities that apply in every household and are really the goal of every man in this body. If you're a young lady here, that's the kind of guy you're praying for someday when you get married. That's the man you want. If it's good enough for His bride, Christ's bride, boy, it ought to be great for you for the day when you're a bride. If you're a young man here, this—your uh, junior high, high school, college, and career is, this should be important to you. You know, one of the traditions we have in this church is we have the round table, right? You guys know, most guys know about that. So when a young man gets, is engaged. And and before he gets married, we have kind of a Knights of the Round Table. We, we have this guy come, and he sits, and we put all the guys together in a in a, a, round, a circle together, and we have men speak into his life to remind him of the significance of the role he's about to take as a husband, and then hopefully future by God's grace and through God's blessings as a father. And we speak into his life the character qualities, qualities that he needs to be in pursuit of. Well, this is just that all in one. We're going to talk about some of that and not even cover it all. How wonderful it is to be a part of that round table. If you're a member of Community Bible Church, we currently have two guys, uh, two men um, that we're considering for eldership here at Community Bible Church, and that's Brian Otten and James Wolfe. The appointment of elders here at CBC is something that the entire church body actively participates in. Um, at some point the elders of this church will be asking for this body to affirm those appointments. We don't vote here, but we are, but we do look for that affirmation from the body. And so the qualities that we talk about, we need to pay attention to. They, they are meaningful to us as a body. And then, as one of the elders here at Community Bible Church, I mean, this is these. All of this matters to me. In fact, as I study it, I look at it, I think, it's simply by God's grace. It's just the work of the Holy Spirit, really that, that we're even believers in Christ, much less what God does for each one of us every day in our lives and how He has brought us all together to function in a specific way that brings glory to Christ. Each of us has an assignment, a different assignment. And we don't look at each other's assignments and go, oh, I wish I had this. We say, God, what is it you want me to do? Let me just serve faithfully in that assignment. And so as I look at this, I'm I'm just overwhelmed um, by my insufficiency, inadequacy, and thankful for what God is doing in my life each and every day. So this message applies to each and every one of us here's the main point so if you have a if you have an outline or some outlines in the back if you haven't outlined here's the main point and then, and then we'll read from 1 Peter five the main point is that God has appointed elders shepherds overseers has, a, has appointed elders over the household of faith from among men who have demonstrated certain qualities in the shepherding of their own home all right that's that's the main point we're going to cover that that's the main point but here's But here's something equally as important. These qualifiers are a sovereign work of God in the lives of these men by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's how it's done. It's not done in the flesh. And it's God preparing men to lead the local body, His church. So let's read. uh, Hopefully you're turned there. Also, um, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy um, chapter 3, so you can plug your one finger in 1 Timothy 3, but right now we're just going to read from um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, So in this week and the week after Easter, as we look at the subject of elders, we're going to be answering the question of who who are they? Who are these elders? What? What do they do? What is their role within the body, within the church? How? How does the elder fill these roles? And why? Why does the elder uh, do this? This morning we're just going to answer one question. We're going to answer the question of who are they? Who are these elders? It should be noted that in every address of the office of elder in Scripture, it is always in the plural. Never does God intend for this office to be filled by a single individual. There are, there, and there is, no lone ranger. There are, and there is no superhero. God, in His sovereign will, brings together a multiplicity of men to be shepherds and overseers of the body. The plurality of elders brings diversity of gifts. The plurality of elders brings accountability, just even one to another, as they meet together. The plurality of elders helps to cover our individual blind spots. I said that softly, sin. Just, we're sinners. Elders are sinners, saved by the same grace as everyone else, and we need each other to call each other out, so that we can be an example and a model to the body. By God's design, each church body operates under the oversight. Each church body operates under the oversight of the plurality of elders. In Acts 14, Luke records this in the missionary one of the missionary journeys of Paul. It says they, that is Paul and Barnabas, in Acts 14, preached the gospel in that city, that's Derby, and they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. And with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. In relation to church order, as we talk about church order, the New Testament provides for only two offices, Two, elder and deacon. Those are the only two offices that are appointed. Now uh, We're going to turn in a few minutes to First Timothy, Timothy 3, and we'll, we'll see, as, as Paul even starts out there, he says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. There he uses the word overseer. So that's the office of elders. And then in First Timothy 3, and we're going to get to this in a few weeks, there's the office of deacons he says, Paul says, likewise, deacons, likewise, in this manner. So we'll be looking at those two offices, elder and deacon. Now, a good question that you should have on your mind, that I have, is well, if there's only two offices in the church, and they're elder and they're deacon, then where do we get the position of pastor? Well, what about pastor? Man, that's the word that's used so often when we when we um, when we think of a of a position. Within a church body, or maybe bishop—not necess- not necess- probably pastor more frequently than bishop. Um, pastor is an English translation of the Greek word used for shepherd. Okay, and the word the word shepherding is used to describe the role of an elder. Bishop is certainly in just another translation of the Greek word for overseer. So we're going to see we're going to see elder and overseer quite often. In both Acts 20 and in our passage, even here in in 1 Timothy 5, we see that. Uh, Acts 20, Luke says this, Now from Eletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders, Presbyteros is the word of the church, the ecclesia, the church, to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and so he gives them his instruction, and here's what he says to them later in that passage. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopos." Okay, so we see he calls the elders, and he says, God has, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has called and made you overseers, episcopos, to care for, to shepherd, to pastor the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Here, even in our own passage in 1 Peter um, 5, verses 1, Peter says, So I exhort the elders, presbyters among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, there's the word that's translated pastor, shepherd the flock of God, that you may exercise oversight. There's the word overseer again, Episcopal. Episcopos. The misconception that there's a third office known as pastor is one that has been promoted by a Western culture that unfortunately has professionalized the ministry activities within the church and ultimately create, which ultimately has created a multi billion dollar industry of ministry professionals. Right? Here's the, temp- here's the danger in that. Here's the danger in that is we're tempted. As participants in the body of Christ, we're tempted to leave the ministry to the professionals, right? Am I, am I right? We, there's that. That's the temptation, and so leaving the and and that that leaves the members of the church really to act more like consumers than participants in the body of Christ. You know, the, here's the corporate model. I work in the corporate world. The corporate model is this: there's a CEO. Um. There are the uh, there are there are the associated executive officers, the CFO, the COO. Okay, um, there's the administrative staff, and there's all those who work together to produce products and services for consumption by the consumers. Right? It's awfully tempting as the church has kind of pulled that model into the church to have a senior pastor, a CEO, a associate pastors, and you know, and 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 deacons that fill this kind of this executive offices and administrative staff, they're all working together, to produce services, products, and services for people to consume. And that's not so. I see, I see it all the time. I see a young guy that says, "Well, I, I want to go into full time ministry." Now, if you use that word "full time ministry" with Pat Peters, he will climb all over you, going, "You are all in full time ministry." But we see it all the time. So this young man goes to goes to the seminary, he gets a degree. And he's and and it, the same really he does the same thing that a young man who wants to be an accountant would do. He goes and he gets an accounting degree, and then he goes look for an accounting job, um, serving as an associate pastor or as a uh, youth pastor. Right, that's kind of the, the entry level job, and then he works his way up that corporate church ladder into to, to a senior pastor position. That's not the model given in the New Testament. The model given in the New Testament is the home. That's where God trains the, the, the shepherds and the overseers of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. Concentrated time of study at a seminary is a good thing and necessary in the teaching of God's Word and helping us to understand God's Word. It, it's important. Um, compensation um, of of men who serve, a, a, in, in, in who serve this this body or anybody in a way that in a way that they need to be compensated to provide for their family because the amount of time that they spend in that ministry, that's necessary too. I'm not saying I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying we we are to follow the model of the home and not corporate America. We need to be careful not to turn ministry into a profession because we are all called to be participants in the local body of the church. Our study over the next couple of weeks should reveal that God's model is just that. It's the household of faith in the home. God has appointed elders over the household of faith from among men who have demonstrated faithfulness in the shepherding in their own homes. And the evidence, and that's the evidence of a man transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in a life lived out in relationships in his home and outside of his home. So, let's look at that. Let's look at some of those qualifications that God uses, that in God's work produces in each local family men who He raises up to serve in that capacity. Turn, if you will, to 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3. Um, we'll come back to 1 Peter 5 in the, in the following week, um, but we're going to spend the rest of our time in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Before we look at these qualifications of elders, um, and later we'll, we'll be talking about the same qualifications for deacons, I feel like it's important to address a cultural lie. And here's the lie. Okay, this is the lie. This is not a true statement. This is a lie. This is the lie. You cannot have equality in value without having sameness in function. Okay, that's the lie. That's the lie. Um, Let me give you an example to help you understand it. In my generation, the lie that was preached by the feminist movement and was preached to to our daughters was this. it It was the lie this, a woman cannot have equality with a man without sameness. You get it? You hear the lie? She is not equally valuable with a man unless she achieves and pursues sameness in function with a man. She must do all that a man does if she wants to be equally valued. That was the lie of our culture. Boy, if you're standing in culture today... Boom, it's gone well past that. But it's the same lie. This lie denies creative order. And this lie denies the uniqueness of God's design in His creation of man and a woman. When we talk about order, we're talking about the person and the character of God expressed in His creation. What drives order and structure in the home What drives order and structure in this church is the person and character of God. God exists in three persons. And if I just went to our doctrinal statement and just read our short, brief paragraph on God, it's this. There is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness And perfection in all His attributes. To Him is owed the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal God is one in essence. Eternally existing in the Trinity, three persons as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons that make up the Trinity are one in essence. They are one. They are co-equal. They are consubstantial. You'll hear that word. They're made of the same stuff, and they're co-eternal, and yet they differ in their function. We don't have time to do it this morning, but here's, here's just, just an activity for you um, this week. Make a note, Ephesians 1. Go to Ephesians 1, and Ephesians 1 is just a magnificent, magnificent um, part of Scripture talking about what God has done for us. But you're going to read all this, he's and he did that and he did this and that and this. And, in er- and throughout all of that, there's the role of God the Father. We're born again by his sovereign will. He is the sovereign rule. His, his sovereign rule rules over all things. There's the role of God the Son. He's our atonement. He's the redemption. We have redemption through his blood. You'll see that. And then there's the role of the Holy Spirit. He's our guarantee. And you'll see that when you you read it. I'm I'm, I'm so tempted I have it in front of me. Even as He, and it doesn't say this, but you have to know that's God the Father, chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He. Now, you've got to figure out who He is. That's God the Father. Predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. There's God the Father, because he wills all things. So you see, and, and, then, and then in the end, we're sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. So go back and look at it, read it, read chapter 1 of Ephesians and see the, see the Trinity at play. One God, three persons functioning differently, different roles within the redemption of mankind. So, in accordance with the person and character of God, equality is not expressed in sameness of function. Function is not required for equality. Why? Because of God, because of who He is. There is no part of God's creation where there is oneness and where there is a variety of function and where it is more reflected than in the marriage relationship. Have you ever tried to explain the Trinity? Kim and I do it with the young people, the uh, elementary age educations. We run right to the marriage relationship and we say, that is the demonstration of the Trinity. Now we're sinners and we, we, we reflect it poorly. But when God takes a man and a woman, He makes them one, they're one. But they vary in function. They have different functions within the world. God has made the husband, the head, the shepherd, the overseer, and God holds him accountable. And God's made our wives as life givers and nurturers. And they perform a valuable function. And we are both valuable. We are both one. And yet we function differently in that. Paul, Paul, Paul um, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, in, in talking about the church body, he says this if the whole body were an eye, where would, the sen- where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. God chooses this as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet there is one body. That describes us. So that's why the unity of the church and the demonstration of who God is to the world that's looking at this body is so important. So when we talk about elders in the church, it's critical that we understand that this function that they fill, these, these men are of no greater value than any other member within this church. And the role that they play is no more important than every role that each one of us plays within this body. Elders are given a specific function, one that provides shepherding and oversight, and it's given by Jesus Christ himself, the chief shepherd. Of the church. As with each member of the church, the elder's function is different, and it's necessary. And that can be said the same for each function that you fill as well. All right, we've got that. Do we understand that? That's an important truth to understand. As we look and see, now we're going to look, let's read um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This saying is trustworthy, Of the devil. Now, I went through that quickly, but if you were counting, there's 15 qual- qualities, qualifiers that Paul gives to Timothy here. If I just applied two minutes to those, um, or three minutes to those, we'd be going another 45 minutes. That's not going to happen. We're not going. We're not going to make it. Um, I want to. What I want to do is I want to focus on the overriding. What I think is the overriding theme. Uh, for this list of qualifications. And I think Paul makes this clear. When he says this, he says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Paul's purpose in giving these qualifications is to, to select men to be shepherds and overseers within the household of God. Therefore, these qualities must first be demonstrated in the home. Paul then goes on to say he, he shouldn't be a new convert. He needs time to, to, be, to mature spiritually. And we need time as a body to see God working through the power of the Holy Spirit in that man's life and in his family. And then Paul, and, 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 and then Paul says, you know, he, he must be well thought of by outsiders. So how, how, how this man responds and uh, how he leads his home is visible, not only in the church, but by outsiders as well. Um, Nowhere in Scripture is an elder's qualifications based on his professional skills or his professional accolades. Paul Paul doesn't even give one academic qualification. Isn't that amazing? To be sure, he must be able to teach, but the certification comes from how he shepherds, how he disciples, how he teaches in his home and those who are under his charge. The qualities, the qualifications that Paul outlines are differentiating. Some individuals will be qualified and some will not be qualified. Paul's not devaluing those who are not qualified. This list of qualification in no way elevates an elder over any other member of the body. I know I've said that multiple times. I just want to keep repeating that every believer's value is based on one thing and one thing only. That's who we are in Christ that we all meet at the foot of the cross together. We are valued. An elder is a disciple of Jesus Christ. An elder is one who desires to be like his Savior in all things, and he shepherds others into that same pursuit. Come, follow me, an elder says as well. We're following Jesus. Let's be like Jesus. So, We're just going to touch on a couple of these, just a couple of these. Um, And then some of the others um, we'll bring together in the next week that we talk about um, what an elder does and how he does it. But the first one that Paul lists is an elder is above reproach. In other words, there's nothing in his life that would give the enemies of Christ ammunition for defaming or demeaning Christ or his bride, the church to be sure this man can be falsely accused Jesus was falsely accused but when carefully examined, any false accusation is, should be exposed to be just that false when i think of when i think of a man when i think of, I think of a man who lived above reproach I, I go back to the old testament i think of joseph i think of daniel you remember daniel you remember daniel chapter 6 um, the high officials and the satraps, it says, but they could find no ground for complaint or, or any fault because he, that is Daniel, was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. That was Daniel. He lived above reproach. Now, to be sure, an elder is a sinner. However, when the light of God, when the light of God's word exposes sin in his life, he should be the man that's quickest, quickest, to repent, to be the example of repentance. That's true for every father in this home. Dads, you should be the first to say, I'm sorry, without a but in that clause, without but, but you, but this. Just repent. That doesn't, that doesn't demean you as a father. That only, that only elevates you and your kids see, hey, now I want to be like that. Quickest to repent. He's not a man that seeks to rationalize his sin or justify his sin before other men. You know, He's also the man that finds it easy to ask for forgiveness. And a man, again, that finds it easy to forgive. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. Listen closely to me. An elder is to be above reproach, but he's not to be beyond reproach. An elder is to be above reproach, but not beyond reproach. In fact... It's because he is reproachable that he's able to live above reproach. Paul says this to Timothy, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. That's how how we deal with sin in an elder's life. The elder is to be a man above reproach. By the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Qualification number two, an elder is to be the husband of one wife. This second qualification that Paul gives um, is an important one. He repeats it. Paul repeats it. In fact, he repeats the same order. Above reproach, the husband of one wife in his instructions to Titus. When, he's, when he tells Titus, if any... Um, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders, it's plural there, it's always plural, elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Paul again, he repeats this in the qualifications of the deacons in 1 Timothy 3.12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. The only other instance where we see qualifications like this listed in the New Testament is for a widow who is to be cared for in the church. And Paul says this in 1 Timothy 5, verse 9, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, that's pretty specific, having been the wife of one husband. The wife of one husband. Now notice this, she's not married. She's a widow. She's been released from the bond of marriage. But Paul's qualification for the widow to be added to the group or cared for by the church is that her life is defined as being the wife of one husband. So it is with the elder. His life is to be described as the husband of one wife. This is the qualification that gets the most debate. And creates the most angst even within the church, or the greater church. And I wanna address this, I, and I gotta do it quickly because I'm running out of time. But, and I wanna, because I, what I do wanna do is boldly proclaim the truth of this, but I wanna do it gently. Um, three quick observations An elder is a man. An elder is a married man, and an elder's married life is identified with one woman. All of those are debated in the greater church. All of those. An elder is a man. In Scripture, scripture, husband is always a reference to the male. This excludes a woman from taking the office of elder, not because she's of any less value. I think we've already established that. She's just simply not not assigned that task. It's just simply that. It's not her assignment. When God created Adam and Eve, God gave Adam the role and responsibility as head of his family. Not because Adam was smarter or more skillful than Eve, but simply because that was was his assignment, an assignment given by the Creator and an assignment that came with accountability. And just as God has given man the role and responsibility as head of his home, God has given certain men... And again, I say it in the plural. The role and responsibility of shepherding and oversight within the household of God. The role of a man as an elder has its basis in creative order, not in culture. Paul says this in Timothy. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed First. In that context of that passage, all Paul is saying is in the body, in the context of the church body, a woman is not to exercise authority over a man. That's not her job. It doesn't say she's not a, she doesn't teach and can't teach. Read Proverbs chapter one. Here are, your, here, are your, here are your mother's, your father's instruction and your mother's teachings. It's not that she can't teach, it's that she doesn't fill that role in the body as a as, as a shepherd and overseer. The elder's role carries with it both a teaching responsibility, because that's a big part of shepherding, and a position of authority as overseer. And this role is simply assigned by God to the man, both in his own home and in the household of faith. The elder is a married man. An elder is... <clears throat> to be a husband... If he's the husband of one wife, if he's going to be a husband, he's got to be a married man. A single man does not qualify for this role. That can be that can be controversial. It's not because a single man is of any less value. Again, we've we've established that. It's simply not his assignment. Listen to what Paul says in First in, in Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Corinthians seven, to the, to the unmarried, those who are unmarried, and and widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. I want you to be free from anxieties, Paul says. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. We should never... Hear me clearly on this. We should never exalt marriage over singleness in this body. We should recognize that both the married and the single are equally valuable and equal contributors. In fact, Paul says, "As if you're single, you're not distracted. You can serve the Lord even greater in a greater way. So if you're called to singleness, or if you're just single at this season of your life, praise the Lord. Serve the bride of Christ without any marital obligations. After all, marriage is only for this momentary lifetime. The purpose of marriage will end when Christ comes for his bride. We'll no longer need to reflect what we will have in real right there when Christ comes for his bride. So an elder is, is a is a married man. He's a husband. This is by God's grace. And I can tell you, my wife is a gift from God. Praise God for her. The elder's elders married life is identified with one woman. He is a one-woman man. Let me say this. An elder is a covenant keeper. An elder is a shepherd who never, and we, we, listen, we pound this in at the round table with the guys. He never abandons his post under any condition. An elder loves his wife in an unconditional way, period, like Christ loves his church. The qualification for one means one. A man who is divorced and remarried is not qualified for this office. It's not because a divorced and remarried man has nothing to contribute or is any less valuable. He is very valuable. It's just not his assignment. We live in a time when many within the church want to accommodate the cultural norm of divorce and remarriage by adding the phrase, at a time. But that's simply not in Scripture. And it only begs the question, how many times? Paul simply says this, a husband of one wife. He is a one-woman man. He enters into that covenant that can only be broken by death. Nowhere in Scripture are we led to believe that polygamy was a problem in the church. Paul was not trying to differentiate between a man who has more than one wife at the same time and a man who has more than one wife at different times. He wasn't trying to make that differentiation. He was simply saying he is a one-woman man. Marriage puts the character of God on display for the whole world to see. It's no small matter. Marriage is designed by God to reflect the unconditional love and forgiveness that Christ has for his bride, the church. She, the church, is undeserving in every way, and yet he loves her unconditionally. There is nothing she, the church, can do to make him, Christ, forsake her. That's the eternal security of the believer. Amen? The same is true. For God the Father and his relationship with his betrothed Israel. And the Old Testament's filled with stories of Israel being unfaithful to God in every way. She prostitutes herself before the gods of the nations around her. And yet God is faithful to her. That's the whole point of the book of Hosea. Even when Gomer, Hosea's wife, leaves him for other men, he remains faithful to her. And then he redeems her. He buys her out of the slave market when those men are done with her. Wow, what a picture. Thank you, God, that you didn't ask me to be Hosea and demonstrate that for you. But that's what Hosea did. The love of Christ, had, the love Christ has for his church is unconditional. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, on a personal note, as as you know, as as I just said, in starting this message, you know, Kim and I returned from Pennsylvania. Kim's mom suffered from severe de- um, dementia. Given the advances of that disease, Kim's mom needed care twenty four seven. She was in a care facility that started when she had a fall, and so rehab was required. Kim's dad went to be with his went to stayed by the side of his bride of 64 years each and every day he sat by her side even though she wasn't in her right mind 90% of the time she wasn't she wasn't there so why did he sit by her side Because he made a covenant. Both with her and with God. For better, for worse, he said, there have been some hard seasons. This was the worst. In sickness and health, She had a debilitating disease. There was no cure. Till death do us part. So at the age of 88, this man continued his shepherding role. He did so until the chief shepherd came. And all I could think was, well done. Well done. (laughs) So whether you're the shepherd in your home, whether God has called you to shepherd the household of God, or whether God's called you to singleness, to be devoted to His bride, the church, or call us to be faithful. An elder is a covenant keeper. He's the husband of one wife. And that is by God's grace alone. There's many other qualifiers, and I'm out of time. Completely out of time. <laughs> the, other one I, the other one I'll just skip, we'll just have to come, we'll come back to, is, is this man as a father. God, by God's grace, God has given this man not only a wife, to love and to cherish. He's given Him children. Children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And every time God gives that family a child, there's a sinner that has to be led to Christ and discipled. And every time they have another child, it's another sinner that has to be led to Christ and discipled. And that man learns how to deal with, with immature people and love them and care for them in gentleness and help them grow up and mature in Christ. That's his job. He cannot save them. He can only introduce them to Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But God has called him to to shepherd his home and to disciple his children. It's no small task. And so... Just as God has created order within our homes, so He's provided order within the household of faith. And God calls certain men to collectively, that's their, there's their plurality, collectively take that responsibility. Remember, God has called each and every one of us to serve the bride of Christ. That is why He has brought us, birthed us into this family. And, and, and God has called certain men to take the, the leadership role, the role of shepherding. Oversight, and we should encourage one another as we strive for unity and purity in the faith, and give a testimony of a life changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ here in our body, in Community Bible Church. Our mission is simple. Our vision statement we have is given by Christ alone. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that by your sovereign will you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, solely and only on the merit and the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Thank you that our position in Christ is eternally secured by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we are part of your story. Thank you that we're part of this local church, Community Bible Church. And we pray that your spirit will fill our hearts with joy as we work together to put the gospel of Jesus Christ on display here in Kennesaw, Georgia, for all to see. And throughout the world, the sister churches that you have given to us so that we might encourage them and minister to them as well. May all that we do, may all that we say, be done to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.